0: Hello, world. Welcome back to Emerge. This week on the show, I'm very pleased to be joined by Ria Bach. Uh, As I mentioned in the episode, Ria was introduced to me by Bonita Roy. And we together are continuing to explore a thread that this show has been hovering around for some time, specifically around uh, group process, collaboration, collaboration, and emergent practice. Uh, what, it, what, it, what it means for groups to gather together and participate in a shared space in a way that can give rise to new, emergent, and appropriate action together. Uh, this is also referred to as the work of collective intelligence collective wisdom, or as Rhea calls it, uh, circles of creation. And so I r- deeply appreciate Rhea's, uh, the way she's synthesized a lot of different threads and streams that are within this kind of space of practice, this domain. Uh, I think, I know for me, uh, speaking with her greatly clarified a lot of pieces that I was wondering about, struggling with, unsure about. Uh, and I hope hope you have that same experience listening to us speak together. Uh, And the experience I had with her was so good that I decided to invite her back on the show for a series of podcasts similar to what we did with Bonita Roy um, to continue to explore her perspective on this domain of work. And so if you have any questions or inquiries or topics or themes that come up for you as you're listening to this episode, please reach out, share them with me, and and perhaps they will make their way into these future conversations. Uh, The next thing I want to mention is just a little bit of uh, housekeeping. The first piece is that uh, I'm going to be sitting retreat for the next two weeks a silent retreat uh with the dharma ocean lineage here in colorado and so i'll be offline uh and there will be no new emerge episodes for the next two weeks i was gonna schedule things and, and uh, have them be released while i was gone but it's the holidays the world you know even though i love this project the world does not need more information even uh Valuable information, and so I think it's nice to just take a little break. Um, I encourage you to spend the hour that you might have been listening to the podcast in silence and reflection, uh, if, if that feels interesting to you, or more time with your family, if you're, uh, you know, doing that, or do whatever you want. But anyways, it, there will be no new episodes. Uh, and then the other related piece is uh, there are really exciting things. A foot for Emerge uh, that I'm excited to be sharing with you soon. So coming in January, I'll be letting you in on some big changes in my life and in this uh, project. And I, i'm I'm uh, very I'm looking forward to, to to hearing how it lands for you and to uh, kind of bringing you on that journey with me. Uh, lastly last bit of housekeeping is uh the is is how to support this podcast so there are two major ways to help support this podcast the first is by s- uh, playing participating and helping to get more people to hear these conversations if you think that these conversations are valuable that they're worth other people hearing I encourage you to leave a review on iTunes that's uh, very helpful in terms of getting the iTunes algorithm to choose to share these conversations with others or just post about um, these conversations, if one of them strikes you post on your social media that you really enjoyed it Uh, share a little bit about what you got from it I think what what part of what um, you know David White says and Rhea echoes in this conversation is that there's a way in which the conversation is the work, and part of having the conversation is naming the conversation, and we can do that in a myriad number of ways, but uh, choosing to represent what is meaningful in the world right now, these important conversations. Uh, at least in my estimation, important conversations is a part of the game that we're all up to together. And so you can support that by sharing the conversations, exposing them to more people uh, if you find them valuable. The second way you can offer support is by becoming a supporting listener. And and that involves uh, giving as little as 99 cents a month or as much as uh, 9.99 a month. Uh, that, That really helps uh, create a flow of resources that makes this project really sustainable. Um, and so I deeply appreciate those who have already offered this support. And um, if you'd like to, if, if you'd also would like to do so, uh, you can go to anchor.fm slash emerge and click on the support this podcast button. Okay. Uh, slightly longer intro than usual, but uh, we're all done now. And, can move on to this episode of Emerge with Rhea Bach. Please enjoy. Welcome back to another episode of Emerge. This time on the show, I'm joined by Rhea Bach. Rhea and I were connected by um, Bonita Roy, uh, who I've recorded, oh geez, at this point, maybe four episodes with. She's somebody that, you know, Uh, I really enjoy the work of, and I've gotten a lot of feedback, you know, that that folks listening have gotten a lot from those episodes. And uh, Bonita connected Ria and I to kind of go further into this exploration um, around, you know, what does it really mean for human beings to collaborate? Like, what's the further reaches of that? How do we collectively create spaces where real novelty appropriate novelty can emerge and how do we turn the kind of presence that perhaps we cultivate on the meditation cushion into a kind of ground for collective action and so all of these questions you know um are very alive in in my world and i've encountered ria as somebody who has spent many many years sort of dedicating herself to understanding this and and, and actually practicing this enacting it and embodying it and teaching others uh how they can live their lives as sort of answers to these questions and so very happy ria to have you on the show to to dive once more into these spaces of inquiry together thank you thank you
1: it's (laughs) an
0: honor great and so uh you know to begin with um I guess I, I I'm you know i've I've been reading your book, uh, Collective Presencing, which uh, highly recommend for anybody interested in these kinds of topics. And I love that this framework emerged out of an experiment that you ran. Um I believe it's called Women Moving the Edge, which mm-hmm. uh, if we if we call it an experiment that it, it sort of took place over seven years and 13 gatherings you said in our last conversation. And um, I'm I'm just curious, like, what was the inspiration for this experiment? And and, like, how did you go about, if we can use this term, like running it, running the experiment?
1: Okay. Um, I think it originated in a gathering that was called Moving the Edge of Collective Intelligence. And there was a a Danish guy was called Finn Voltoft who died in the meantime um, and he was involved with uh, the world cafe that some people might know as a method for collective intelligence and I got to know him through a conference or something and we started talking about and some Good conversations in real dialogues, something seems to happen. Like not always, but sometimes. And at that moment in time, we called it the magic in the middle, because it seems something in the middle was happening that we couldn't name or anything. And so this gathering um, was actually called into being to um, to inquire into that. And hopefully to get into that, you could call it an energy or a consciousness or an awareness, um, so that you could get there collectively. Um, and I must say in that specific gathering in Denmark, um, it was only at the point that we, as the hosting team, um, that was Finn and a couple of other people and myself, um, we dropped every facilitation, any kind of input from us. We said, we don't know anymore. We just let it happen. And yeah. in that gathering, there was a lot of, oh, we could do this, or we could try out that, or many, many suggestions were made from yeah. all from experience people had been in before, And nothing gelled. So then we dropped every facilitation. And some people went for a walk and other people went out. And a a couple of us stayed in the room. And at a certain point, like two-thirds of the people were sitting in one circle. And that thing, that magic in the middle happened for like almost two hours. And we were like, Mm. oh. (laughs) We were kind of kind of flabbergasted and were like, yeah, we did it then. <laughs> mm-hmm. But then afterwards, um a couple of women who were there who said, like, you know, this gathering, it was like a bit, a bit too heady. We didn't mm-hmm. do any movement or it was just like in the breaks or, and so we, we kind of from there, from that realization, we said, like, let's start of women moving the edge. Um, mm. And that's where it started.
0: Mm. Yeah, and so I think that, that one of the symmetries that I notice between your work and Bonita's, and there are many, but one of them is this kind of like deconstructive movement out of which <laughs> this more like generative Possibility can sort of naturally emerge, and so is my under. And so this, I might, I might be wrong about this. I don't know. This is my kind of what I imagine you did is you kind of just all of you sort of knew what this space was that you wanted to create, and then you just got together and like followed presence. Is that a way to describe it, or how would you describe what it is that you actually then ended up doing together? Yeah.
1: I remember uh in the preparation for the first women moving the edge gathering uh I was with Judy Wallace as co-host and we kind of designed a bit the the morning like explaining circle practice and um make sure that we had a check in and all the, all of that like the good prep and and Judy had this inkling of designing the afternoon and the next day. And I said, like, no, I don't think we need to do that. Like mm. I was kind of an inner certainty that just with pre- presence and a very minimal structure of, of circle practice that we would be able to get there or something. Um, and mm. it's actually indeed being present is like crucial in, in, in that regard, as you said, yeah.
2: hmm
0: hmm Great. And so, this then, you know, uh, went on for another seven years. Uh, you continued to sort of, I, I guess I would say, like, uh, create these experimental spaces. Mm-hmm. Um And what I mean, there's obviously, you wrote a book on it, but I guess I'm curious, like, now uh, I want to ask the question, like, what, what did you discover? Like, what was your, what what changed for you? Obviously, you're already engaged in this kind of space of exploration before this set of experiments, but what what kind of changed in your relationship to the whole field of collaboration and facilitation and group process? Um,
1: I think the biggest change was... um to suddenly realize that we were kind of training a new capacity by by just being in circle and widening our presence and widening our awareness, Um, not just to include all the people in the group, but also the place we were in and the timing and, and so on. I realized that maybe we were finding, like I call it a new human capacity. Um, mm. that what if a group of people, if a team could actually operate in this way from total presence to to whatever is 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 present, yeah. Um, Mm. So that was one of the main, yeah, insights along the way, I cannot pinpoint where that happened. Yeah. um.
0: Yeah. Yeah, And that's one of the things that was most uh, struck by, I think there's a part in your book where you talk about how, you know, books that you encountered or like movements of nature or coincidences all became sort of fodder to be metabolized. By the group, and so it was this like more than human presencing that then I don't I don't know what what was the, and then the the group yeah metabolized I suppose is the right word metabolized and then created produced something something emerged out of that metabolic process and how would you kind of characterize what gets produced when a group is willing and able to do that kind of work together that practice together.
1: Yeah, and before I go there, maybe mentioning that we always worked very hard to to figure out what was the question that the inquiry would be around. Mm. Um, so that it was not just a bunch of people or a bunch of women showing up and sit in circle, but as preparation, we would engage over different conversations um most of the time on 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 skype at that time um like what is what is the real question that we now have so in that regard Mm -hmm. it was experiments but it was also kind of an action research i could Mm -hmm. later see i mean it didn't start with let's have an action research for seven years that was Mm -hmm. not the start but it it turned out to be that way because we dived in deeply, deeply and like, how do we articulate this? And every word mattered. Um, And then, um, now you have to remind me your question. I lost it a bit.
0: (laughs) Yeah. What do you produce? Like what, what is the affordance perhaps we might expect if we actually are able to enter into this kind of space of shared presence yes. and then co-creation yeah
1: it's 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 always very fascinating like if you have such deep deep questions um, you cannot go straight to the answer that's not a linear process you know it kind of the conversation the dialogue kind of meanders around and um Sometimes it was only after the gathering that I could actually see that we somehow had answered the question, although it didn't, how we say that, because you're so immersed in a process of letting go of so much, uh, because we didn't want to talk from what we already knew, what was already memory in our head, but... Maybe mm. some clues from here and there, or from something that happened, or from a drawing somebody was making, or a personal story that was shared. Somehow, the deeper insight emerged, deeper mm. insight that was kind of collectively held. Yeah, mm. and it's, it's, it's hard to articulate that, what it actually is or what it produces, but um, to go back to Bonnie, she calls it collective inciting as a verb. It's it's a process of deepening insight that happens in the collective and not just only in me or only in the other person, but that kind of happens between us
0: yeah and I actually th- it is very hard to articulate. it's one of the things that I struggle with most on the show is is speaking with people wh- where we're kind of trying to explore the ineffable and only having the medium of you know speech to really <laughs> communicate it's, it's it's tricky although I will say that I think you had one of the best ways of describing it that I've ever seen in your book. And I'm just gonna read this little paragraph because I think for me it was so clarifying uh, you say that Um, This was an organic unfolding process, and we were riding the wave. A continuous process of sensing and acting, sensing and acting over and over. Christopher Alexander, describing how buildings acquire a timeless quality of beauty over hundreds of years, calls Mm -hmm. this the moving and stopping that creates wholeness. Dave Snowden, discussing how to deal with complex situations, names it Probe, Sense, and Act. According to Snowden, what comes out of this iterative process is not best practice or even good practice, but emergent practice, something altogether Mm -hmm. new and unique. And uh, that paragraph just clicked together for me so many different pieces. And so, uh, one, I just want to appreciate you writing that. And then, you know, I, I think what it what what it says to me, one of the pieces that it says to me is is how important localizing this kind of thing is like it's it's it you know, if we accept what this paragraph says, then there's no way that there could be a kind of reliable practice manual or guide to this kind of approach uh to life to. Resolving the problems of our time, and instead it's like uh, inevitably and intractably kind of like something that must belong to small groups of people. It seems doing this work together is that kind of how you see it as well.
1: I I guess we have to practice that indeed on a small smaller scale and in a smaller group because it's 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 so counterintuitive to our expert mind linearity kind of trained project management kind of thing. Um, So we really have to practice to be in sensing the whole time, sensing like where is this going, sensing A, that sounded like more important than that before. Like there's so much sensing on Mm -hmm. all kinds of levels going on um that yeah you you just need to practice that a lot because Mm -hmm. there's so much ingrained linearity and causality in in our way of thinking and being and acting it's it's amazing when you start seeing that um how it slips in again and again
2: um
0: it's almost like the opposite of how we've constructed civilization so far, where we've built abstractions and conceptions that actually like privilege themselves over our sensitization, like we do the thing that we think we're supposed to do, regardless of how our sensitivity is attempting to articulate perhaps a different direction. And it's,
2: yeah. Uh, yeah. And
1: that's what I learned from Bonita Roy, that she mm. she uh, pointed me and others to this book from Sean uh, Gebson. Um, which the title is The Ever-Present Origin.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And underst- what I understood from Bonnie's uh, speaking about it and myself reading it is that we even think that evolution is a linear, linear thing that you mm-hmm. go from one to the other as if you can draw a line. Um, but what I understood is like, Every time, and like now we're on this, what Gebscher calls this mental consciousness, as you just mm. described, um, that kinds of, the consciousness can fall back into origin to come back up with something new. Mm. So it doesn't go, we don't have to extrapolate from the past to the future. We can just, dipping back into source, into origin, and to come up with something straight away from source. Um, Mm. Whatever that means. I mean, I don't try to, to define that or anything, but people, many people have that kind of experience at least once or twice in their lives when they feel like, oh, like a knowing that is so deep and inside your whole being that you have to act on it. There's there's this deep knowing that I, I always say it's like you align inside your thinking, your energies, your emotions, Mm. your gut, your heart. It's all like in one line and you're like, yeah, it's Mm. kind of aligning and, I think that's where you touch that that deeper layer or that source energy or origin or whatever.
2: Mm.
1: And what I kind of state in the book is like, if we all can do that around a question that really matters, then what would we see? What kind of actions or solutions would come up? That's that's
2: what
0: I'm totally fascinated with. Mm. Yeah, I, and it and it and, and and indeed, you say I think at some point uh, that to trans to kind of do this sort of work together, and specifically, you say to transition from a circle of presence, which maybe we can talk about after I, after I share this quote circle to transition from a circle of presence to a circle of creation is to make the very paradigm shift that is currently embroiling humanity at this time. Uh, and like, that's a, that's a big statement, right? So, and, and uh, right. the idea of like, from, you know, there's a part of me I'm aware of that says, and it often happens in these kinds of conversations. Like, you know, I've spent, years in a monastery i've dedicated myself to meditative practice i explore these kinds of topics quite often and still Mm -hmm. it's hard for me to reach an individual level of alignment Um, and then Uh on top of that what we're being asked to do is create a collective state of alignment and uh so there's a part of me that's like oh man like this is too much this is too big this could never (laughs) you know we're doomed kind of if this is what it's going to take um uh I well I guess I'll just say that. What what, what comes up for you when I when I say that and, and express that part of myself?
1: But the other part is like I see it happening. Like I'm I'm a practitioner of what is called the art of hosting, conversations of matter. Mm. And so that's at the heart of it is a fourfold practice and I keep it short, but the first practice is hosting self, meaning that you are very aware of how you're feeling, when you're triggered, how you come back to center. So, yeah, people are trained in being back in their own center when they co-design conversational processes for others. Mm. So I've been recently in, in two times... Um, a team one was I think ten and the other was twelve persons with apprentices and more people more seasoned and and there was not one hiccup between people, mm. so it is possible if you just train yourself in having good conversations and understanding what. Sensing and dialogue means instead of a debate or uh, yeah discussions as they were are always <laughs> named. Uh, because if you if you practice having good conversations there's a natural way you come to this, to this, to this possibility, mm-hmm. to this pot- potential. So, and it's not—it's—it's it's actually applying your meditation skills or whatever skills you have been training in exchange with others. Mm. So, how to be mindful? How to be present? when you speak with words. I think that's what I'm trying to invite people into. Um, Because sitting on a meditation cushion can be hard, but it can also be simple or easy. Mm. But the whole thing, what I'm about is like applying Whatever your practice is of presence, and it can be dancing, or it can be walking, or it can be writing, or I mean, there's tons of different practices, but apply it in the conversations you have.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Like how to be centered, how to come back to center if you're triggered, and all of that. Yeah. And then you yeah. can start what I then you can start creating Mm -hmm. because the life energy can just flow freely. You know, it's not stuck in patterns. It's not stuck in old habits, call it ego or not. (laughs) I don't mind, but that's how I see it. Like we all Mm -hmm. have this capacity to dip into life itself. And that's maybe origin or source or, but we have so many habits, patterns for of survival formed a long, long time ago, most of the time. Um, and to just be aware, when are you free of habits and can you just be present in your mm. speaking?
0: Mm. Mm. I, I love that frame of applied presence because it... It
1: it totally is, is, yeah. it's
0: so it's so good, right? because it it it, <laughs> it 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 denies us the tendency to put it in a certain container. So we're not going to say like apply presence in x or y or z. Like I can go apply presence when I'm checking out at the grocery store or in oh, any context. Yeah. yeah, and and or in a podcast, in right? Like even as you were speaking, I realized that a lot of my impulse for this project has been my love of really, you know I would say, good conversations. And Mm. part of that has been discovering that, you know, as much as I have been programmed to be a person who's like up in my head and loves concepts that good Mm -hmm. conversations happen when I include a sensitivity to say like what's happening in my body or my like deeper psyche.
2: Um,
0: And so, yeah, even like we can apply presence then in the context of like a podcast project or yeah. Whatever else, yeah. Um, and
2: what uh,
1: I, I guess there's no limit to where we can apply it, mm-hmm. um, and even, I mean, what we learned through the many many prep calls we had for these gatherings, um, and many many more other gatherings, um, is that even over Skype or Zoom or whatever app you use because you if you use headphones people it seems as if people talk in your head yeah mm-hmm. so if you really tuned in to listen deeply to each other and listen deeply to the whole of the whole team or the whole group you're in, actually, the headphones sometimes help if you're not distracted, of course, by whatever is in your room. But if you really tune in, it's sometimes easier than when you see people face to face.
2: Hmm. Hmm.
0: Yeah. What, one thing I, I sometimes play with, with like internet dialogues is I'll close my eyes and almost like pretend exactly. that the, the interlocutors that I'm with are v- actually voices in my head, or that we're all kind of emerging out yeah. of one intelligence. And it's really amazing how just acting as if that's the case changes my relationship to the, the, the experience.
1: Yeah. Uh, and imagine that we would kind of do that all the time when it really matters, Like, I mean, that's how I understand collective intelligence or collective wisdom is that when you're in a group of people engaging with a topic or a question, that you deeply, deeply realize that each contribution is a piece of the puzzle and you have to listen to the wholeness of it. Mm-hmm. And not just like, oh, John said this and Mary said that, kind of like building blocks who have no relationship with each other. But what you start to learn or what you can train yourself in is like, if I listen to the whole of every little piece that has been brought in, what is then what we see?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Or what we then suddenly get? Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Well along with that what what comes up for me is like then there's also this kind of um uh I mean the word in my mind is sacred but uh, nonetheless a kind of responsibility for each of us to be uh, sort of courageous in our willingness to share our peace right that there's uh, yes. uh, uh, that the wholeness that we want that we hope to cultivate or contribute to I don't know if needs us or or once us. I don't know how to frame it, but that there is this sense of like individual responsibility, in wrapped up in this discussion of like collectivity.
1: Totally, totally. Because um, Otto Schomer says the f- the future is in need of us, huh? Um, mm.
2: Because
1: it's 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 one of these. Hurdles to take in, in if you go this route is like deeply understanding that whatever comes up in you in that inquiry, it's yours to share. And sometimes it can be looked to you like a very stupid, <laughs> not meaningful thing yeah. related with the question. But somehow it comes up in you and if you sit with it for a few minutes and it doesn't go away, then maybe you have to share it. And the meaning will come forth from from the other pieces that are also shared and that will build this, let's say, this new picture in the middle. And you could not think that your stupid thing – Became something meaningful in a bigger whole.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: But it it is indeed, um, you can call it a responsibility, yes. Um, Like we just had here in Belgium um, a kind of conference and it said, to change everything, it needs all of us. Mm. It was like, okay, yeah, to change everything, it needs all of us or it
0: needs everyone that was, yeah. Yeah. And another piece of this, I think for me is, is, uh, you know, maybe the thing that's coming up in you is you think stupid or somehow like contradicts or exposes or in whatever way, um, makes you feel scared to share or, uh, so vulnerable Mm -hmm. or whatever. And, um, the thing that I notice, or I, I notice that what one component of actually sharing it, like lots of times I notice that I kind of just keep it on the inside and, and don't share it. Mm-hmm. And typically that's because uh I feel like there's a lack of courage or a lack of a sense of safety mm-hmm. in the group, or a lack of kind of just like trust that this is actually useful to share. Um, and I would love to hear – you. I mean, I, obviously, this is a big – maybe we can uh, – t- are there more things that tend to prevent – I mean, those feel like the the, the various levels from my perspective. I don't, uh, but I, I'd be curious to speak a little bit more with you and dive into, like, how do we cultivate this capacity to really uh, share what is ours to share, it's something that I struggle with. It's something I know a lot of my listeners struggle with. They've reached out to me about this. Um, yeah, I'm just curious to hear your your thoughts.
1: Yeah, and maybe that leads us also to speak a bit about what I call the difference between the circle of presence and the circle of creation. Because um, let me share a story from early, early, early on, even before... Um, women moving the edge was another group of women and we were starting to try this out like not making plans and not agree up front what we would do but let it emerge from what was going on and so we were uh, like in a weekend and everybody got up on Sunday morning and somebody started to go on a walk and somebody else started even cleaning her car right. and All kinds of things happened. And then finally, by mid morning, we kind of came together and it turned out that each one of us had wanted to start earlier, but we all made assumptions Hmm. that the one who was cleaning her car didn't want to start earlier. and So we all made assumptions and nobody spoke. Hmm. Nobody checked the assumptions. So that was such a huge, huge lesson Mm -hmm. for me that if you want to go with this natural flow or you can call it self-organization or you need to speak up, you need to check assumptions.
2: Mm.
1: And another um, big hurdle, because what we try in these circles, especially a circle of creation where you you have done all your homework and you understand everything about projections and shadow, and so all the emotional stuff is out of the way, or most of it, what we call, um, or we try to speak from a place that has not been yet processed by our minds mm. and that feels like a very very scary thing to do yeah. in the beginning because w- nobody does it ever <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, we're not trained to, to speak from what Jandlin calls this felt sense like we have we all have felt sense in our body and the best Example is like um, when a poet writes a poem and he starts writing or she starts writing and there is a knowing inside that this word is not the right word yet. Mm
2: -hmm. It's
1: kind of similar, but it's not that right word. And so that is a bodily felt sense of what is right or not. But that kind of, and I call it a subtle sensing, we all have that, but we are not trained to speak from there. You can call it intuition or the subtle difference to make, but to to speak from source, to speak from that deeper level, that seems like a, at least it was for us like a huge... Mm kind of boulder to climb over (laughs) but Mm -hmm. like can i reveal can i be so vulnerable that i speak something that my mind has not processed before kind of just i blur it out almost although it has a deep meaning um and that was that's one of the big big hurdles that i noticed
0: yeah i mean uh uh, even hearing it, it brings up a like subtle fear response in my body. Like, And I try to do that as much as possible, but it's like still extremely scary, like on, a, on an almost like physiological level, perhaps it's because yeah. of how we've been programmed. I mean, as you said, like, uh, it's not just that we're not trained to do that, but that we're actually trained to do the opposite, to really trust our mind, to think we know the answers, you know, the schooling um, really yeah. moves us in the antithetical direction in a lot of respects.
1: Yeah, and our, our culture is so mental yeah. that it's, it's, it's amazing if you start seeing that. Yeah. And the whole subtle sensing that also drives our lives um, people are not aware of it like I always give this little example like you need to go to a reception you know like maybe a colleague of. somehow you need to be there although you don't know many people and you come through the door and you have a sense like oh this is fun You, you just come in you haven't talked even. You you just sense the atmosphere. Mm. Because next week you go to something similar and you open the door and you think like, ah, that doesn't feel good. Mm. So we have a subtle sensing organ or subtle senses but we are not trained to notice let alone to speak it. So that's the first chapter of my book. It's like, please start noticing in mm-hmm. yourself, in your body, all these subtle things, mm-hmm. because it's it's information and it's useful information.
0: Yeah, and there's a, a a sense that I get from reading your book as well as some of the conversations I've been having on this podcast that like that felt sense is deeply trustworthy. In a way that uh, is very difficult to fathom, I think, or or explain, but that it somehow is. And that a lot of the work, at least a lot of the work I know for me, is learning to trust that following that felt sense, expressing Mm -hmm. on its behalf, doing what it seems to want me to do if i can use that kind of language Mm -hmm. um, uh, leads to a place of at least more aliveness but is also somehow like i I hesitate to use this term uh but like right like right yeah i I guess i'm curious like what 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 is (laughs) what's going on there and, and how do we learn to trust that or something i like i struggle with this to be honest, a lot. Like, I I often, like, my mind interjects and is like, yeah, maybe, like, this felt sense yeah, is right, that's... but this felt sense, like, mm, I don't know, you know.
1: <laughs> yeah. That brings us back also to, back again to Bonita Roy, who, who said or explained to me that, that we, as human beings, we have... Um, I don't know how she called it, but let me just put it in my words, that we kind of think we are better than animals because we have a mind and we can think mentally and so we are better. And what we just said about felt sense and intuition and that feeling of this is right, goes yeah you need to integrate I think how animals go through life
2: mm.
1: how they sense where to go where to sit like just watch your cat if you have one. I mean they they sense their way through life they they probably don't think um, but you have to reclaim these animal capacities, because we are also animals. Mm. And if we combine it with our mental thinking, not let the mental thinking take over, but kind of find a synergy between these different knowings. That's why I call it in the book, a wholeness of knowing, Mm. like, that's where your sense comes from. This is right for now. This is the step I need to take. Mm. This is what I'm going to do now. Um, we we we're just not trained. Like like in the example I I I told you like you come in the door at this reception. If you if we would be trained to name and articulate what we sense, we would train that capacity so much more
2: mm-hmm.
1: but it hasn't been in any way
2: mm-hmm.
1: at least not not in my childhood or anything and so the 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 yeah the mantle has has gotten the mantle was like the best you know yeah. It's like on the top. And all the rest is less important.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And yeah, so you have to retrain your mind also in that way. And and, and value value emotional feelings and value subtle sensing too.
0: And uh, I think I think this is like an unfair question, but I'm going to ask it anyways, uh, because <laughs> it's, it's true and it's arising from me. I feel like it would be out of integrity now to ask it, given what we're talking about. But like, uh, you know, why is this felt sense, trustworthy? Like what? Why? Yeah, why?
2: Um,
1: I think, I haven't been thinking about this before. So this is also new to me, but we have this capacity to to capture way more signals around us and in us than our mind can even think of. And I think that is what felt sense is, and it has to do with awareness of context, awareness of yourself, But also, I think that we have a sense of where is more life and where is less life force. Like, and it's different for each of us. Like, I love to dance. So I can feel some at some point like now I I need to look out for a good party so that I can dance because that brings me back to that life force. But for other people, it's not dancing. It might be something totally
2: different. Mm.
1: But I think it it's connected with life force or feeling alive.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah.
1: I mean, I don't have anything with, with writing poems. I don't get it. That's not my form. But some people, they, they just start glowing when they read a good poem or when they can produce one. Can create one, so it's different for each of us.
0: Cool. Yeah, and I, I think I think one of the reasons I ask why is that I'm I'm I struggle given my upbringing and my programming um, with a kind of domination of the conceptual mind. You know, like that I, I tend to get. I tend to, uh, as I think you said, many people mm. in our culture do. Um, depend on lean on emphasize the mental at the expense okay. of the kind of animal or uh, felt um, and these explanations of like why this is trustworthy or uh, how it comes to be trustworthy or what the directionality is of following <laughs> this impulse or the sensitivity uh, helps yeah. assuage my uh, my concerns sort of on a mental level and, and then chills my mind out at least a little bit more and allows me to trust and move forward. Um, and so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, 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 and and this is something I think it might even be the reason that Bonita originally connected us is this um, piece about concepts in the mind, right? So on the one hand, like we can acknowledge that our culture has, uh, overemphasized, uh, to, uh, and, and the, the the kind of realm of the concepts or the realm of the mind, um, you know, and and for various reasons that we, we've talked about in the show, and, and I'm, I'm I think probably most people listening are well aware of. Uh, but you know, in this world of greater wholeness, like what is the role mm-hmm. of the conceptual, um, and how do we sort of almost like I, I, the word that comes to mind is like rescue it or revivify it.
1: Uh-huh, I, I s- started seeing the limits of, of the mental. Um, I had a very good friend who who saw visions of the future and he, he was onto something, really. Um, but he could be so lost in 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 his ideal conceptual world, that he could not see what was the next step. That that was kind of just in front of our feet. Like we can see ideals and we can see visions, and um, but there is also from the sensing you can sense what is the next step to take that will bring you towards that vision?
2: Mm.
1: And if you don't have that capacity to sense what moves you actually in that direction, uh, you can um, get so lost in the conceptual space. And again, what I learned from Bonnie was some people instead of connecting with the body and the senses and the emotions, they, she calls it conceptual shadow, Mm. that people move into concepts because they don't, to to say it very short hand, kind of, like, because they don't want to be in the here and now. And and actually, when you read John Gebser, he explains very well that the mantle, I mean, the mantle is, has done great things, but just look at the world where the mental has brought us. Mm. Because we didn't check in if what the ideas we had and the, the machines and the whatever, we didn't check if it was life affirming. Or not, mm-hmm. or it was destroying life value instead of generating more of life. Um mm-hmm. and I'm I'm not at all saying that the the mantle is not useful because what I think is the big uh challenge ahead for us is to be able to to articulate what we feel and sense in a way that others can understand. Mm. And for me, that was um, coming from feminist movement long time ago where we used to say, like, yeah, the guys don't get it, you know? Like we sense something, we women, we sense something, we know something and the guys don't get it. That's too easy. Mm-hmm. If there is something that I or you are sensing or that we know deeply inside, we have to train ourselves to be able to speak it so that others can understand.
2: Mm-hmm
1: and i think that's a huge challenge for each of us to balance call it feminine and masculine but let's not go there but to balance to balance that the mantle with all the rest and if you have too much mantle you need to integrate more of the subtle sensing or intuition and if you live by intuition you need maybe train yourself to articulate it well mm-hmm
0: yeah. Well, and what comes up for me, even in hearing you say that, uh, which I, I love is 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 um, even what you just said, perhaps is a kind of like, I don't know, framework or litmus for, for approaching the arena of the conceptual, right? It's like, um, when we are engaging in that realm, are we engaging in order to serve life and to facilitate yeah. the robust emergence of more life uh, or something like that, and so we kind of like orient in accordance with what it seems to be is some kind of symmetry with the the why the felt sense is trustworthy, and so there's some kind of uh, further possible wholeness in the way that we deploy concepts like we don't deploy them if they aren't <laughs> you know, and I think that's probably a pretty good rule of thumb, at least mm-hmm. for a while, you know, after we've ravaged the world with the kind of mind that uh, was sort of thoughtlessly using thoughts.
1: Mm. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 yeah, what I was, again want to point out is like, imagine you're with a group of people who have this balance between. Conceptual understanding, because like, if you really understand complexity, and you really get what emergence is, and you can apply your subtle sensing and bring in your felt sense and notice what is happening in the room or outside or in the world, if you combine that in a group of people, what what a huge richness and yeah, I can only hope that more people see that potential.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah, it is so rich, and I I can only look at my life and I can point to like a handful of times when I've experienced that, but they've been some of the most beautiful experiences of my life, and I think part of the problem mm. or part of part of the challenge right now is that there exists this potential, and yet such a small sliver of humanity has ever even tasted that this might be possible. And so I guess I'm, I'm I'm curious if you have any thoughts about, because another thing that people often reach out to me about is they feel quite isolated, you know, they don't live in a kind of cultural hotspot where people are practicing these kinds of, uh, let's say, uh, progressive or emergent technologies, like how do we begin to uh, expose more people to this possibility of human experience
1: you know my first women's circle that i talked about some minutes ago we were not in any hot spot of culture at all mm. <laughs> just in belgium flanders somewhere somewhere just coming from all directions um, so What I would advise to people is start a circle. Learn how to have good, deep conversations and dialogues. Learn what it takes to get over the phase in any circle or in any group where you first think like, oh, this is the best group ever. And then you fall into the trap of like, hey, but I don't like what you said. Weren't we the best group and blah, 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 blah. Mm. To then fall into the next phase of seeing like, okay, we're all so different. Mm. And still we can have good conversations and engage with a similar topic or similar question. And to then even move further Like, what if we engage with a real problem? Can we just the street you live in, or anything? Mm. Um, an old building that's empty, and you want to revive it, or do something with kids in it, or um, I would invite everyone to really practice good circle practice and any kind of practice that supports that. Because the conceptual knowing that we now, most of us realize it needs to be different in the future. Somehow it needs to be something else. And I think circles or teams or, and finding that place of where you can think and act in a way that enhances life is the best way to think. Mm-hmm. It. On any kind of scale, you want to play it. Mm-hmm. Even if it's just your garden with your neighbor or if it's whatever. Because I, I do want to stress... The fact like we will not get to somewhere else if we don't change our practices. If we keep on talking like we have always been talking and make it into debate and discussions, we will not get to some new place. Mm. It's, it's, It's in the conversations that the new world gets made or gets I don't know how
2: to say that yes
1: um, yeah I think gets made yeah at least the seeds are made in the conversation
0: yeah yeah what I what I really appreciate too is the kind of the, 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 the what what you know there's there's an and as we kind of reflected on before there's an embodied aspect of what you're speaking about and there is this kind of conceptual story that we're talking about now too uh-huh. that is a kind of theory of change or description of how things could be. And I notice that in really taking it seriously, like my own commitment to my own practices is strengthened because in order to have the conversations and collaborations that are kind of building this emerging future, I need to have Mm -hmm. sort of, Tilled my own garden and taking care of myself so that I can do that. And so there's a kind of like yeah. beautiful integrity to this way of seeing what needs to be done in order to move forward together.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And it's practices on all kinds of levels and all kinds of dimensions. Yeah. It's not like, like we said in the beginning, it's, it's a, an apply the practice in the conversation. And try out. Yeah, how do you get to a dialogue instead of a discussion? I, I just came from four days of of um, what is called participatory leadership in the European Commission, and they always use the word discussion. Mm. We had a discussion. And I've I've told them so many times, like, discussion comes from the Latin root, and I think it's discutere, which means kind of to chop into pieces. Mm. Let's not chop things into pieces, (laughs) but let's have a conversation where we turn to each other, and let's have a dialogue, which means the meaning that flows through the conversation and try to listen like what is weaving from all the different parts of the conversation, what is weaving together that brings us to the next step mm. to see and to act in a in a life-affirming way
0: mm.
1: and not chopped
2: up into pieces. Yeah.
0: Yeah and I think I I like that you brought the latin roots of discussion. I didn't know that and and I I heard uh, some time ago that the I hope this is true that the roots of dialogue are it basically means like a flow of meaning which is a very different Yeah it's
1: the dialogos. Mm. So it's the the dia is not dual. Lots of people think it's between two people but it's the dia is like looking through mm. yeah like it, and and the logos is the word, so the it's it's the the meaning that flows through the conversation. Mm. That's how I I remembered it.
2: Mm. Yeah.
1: I'm I'm I didn't study Latin so, <laughs> yeah. or Greek or whatever, so
0: yeah, yeah. And, and one one piece I'll add uh, just uh, is that you know for those who are intrigued by this possibility. Um, I think, you know, even if you live out in the middle of nowhere, you nowadays, it's very easy to start a podcast, right? And you can reach out to people and just attempt to have a dialogue, attempt to have a good conversation. And if you have,
1: if you just convene people around a good question, because that's another thing that's important in, in conversations, if you want to have a good flow of the conversation, you need to go have a good riverbed, as I say. And the riverbed is made in part by having a good question. Um, and you can just announce and convene a couple of people who resonate with that question and, and start from there. Um, mm. And... I was just today in a meeting where people said like, huh, I didn't know that so many people were doing these practices. And I thought I was alone. But these days you're not.
2: Hmm.
1: There's in every little stupid little village is <laughs> um, somebody who knows, who cares about the environment, or somebody who cares about children or migrants or, or anything.
2: Yeah.
1: But mm. does permaculture, or I mean, there's so many different practices that kind of are all life affirming.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and a part part of the invitation, perhaps, then is is to convene. It's just to convene, right? Like, if you feel moved yes. by these sorts of descriptions, then like reach, like convene something. Yes. You know, there's so many different dimensions. So you talk exactly. about applied presence, you know, there's a, as many d- d- domains of experience as there are. You can figure out a way to sort of access this capacity. And so whether it's a podcast or a circle in your community or um, whatever it is, I think. Yeah. yeah.
1: Or even in, in your work environment. or Yeah. Convening is is is, is a powerful thing. and And everybody everybody can do it you can just ask people to come to your home and and you just rearrange the chairs and the sofa and, and you can sit in a circle it's 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 easy because we have always done that yeah and you make sure there's some coffee and tea and and off you go yeah,
0: yeah. Mm-hmm. And i'll I'll add just because um i know this is true in my experience like when i consider convening often i will encounter voices in my head that give me reasons why I shouldn't either because I'm, uh, you know, people won't come or my house isn't nice enough or uh, people won't listen in the case of a podcast or whatever. But like, again, this comes back to perhaps Mm -hmm. the trustworthiness of the impulse to convene around a life affirming impulse. And so uh, listen to those voices and even clarify them. I think that's been helpful for me, like uh, name them and then, yeah.
1: And in the art of hosting community, we would say like, Never host alone. Like if you want to convene a circle, make sure you have somebody you convene with and you can start uh, sharing the burden of the organizing or you can sit together and sense like what will be the best framing of the question. Um, so just don't do it alone. If, if you don't feel like fully fully confident, and even if you are, it's always better to have more intelligence mm. around. I mean, that's also understanding collective intelligence and collective wisdom. Mm. If if you're with two or three, you have more resources available. More intelligence, more wisdom mm. is there than just on your own.
0: Wonderful. Well, uh, Ria, I would definitely say, for me at least, this has been a, a good conversation with a capital G and so I (laughs) I really appreciate um, all the perspectives you share. and uh, before we end this particular conversation is there anything that's on your mind or in your heart that you'd like to share with the people who might be listening
1: yeah what what we didn't talk about and which is uh, also a big part in in the book is is what I've called the not knowing yet Hmm. and um, whenever we we jump off the cliff if that jumping off the cliff is convening a little group in your house or doing something bigger, it doesn't matter what it is um, you always come to a point where you don't know what is the answer or you don't know what to do or you just don't know yet mm. and I want to point out, because we are in this space where we need to find the novel thing and not reproduce what we already know, you always come to that point, big time or small time. Um, And it's not a not knowing, and maybe we read a book and then Mm -hmm. we know, or somewhere else somebody has the answers. It's truly something and not knowing yet Mm. we just have to sit in that point where all our concepts and all our sensing doesn't seem to do it and then we need to just stay in the practice of listening deeply sharing whatever comes up and at some point some clarity will emerge and if it doesn't, we just reconvene in a second. Mm. So the, and we have to learn to stand that intensity because our mind is so trained. Like, let's come up with solution. Let's do something. Mm. Yeah. And just to hold that tension, and it doesn't feel right. So let's not do something yet. And maybe when we reconvene then clarity will arise. But it's a muscle to be trained because um, once uh, a participant in one of the moving the edge gatherings said like, we are so used to pick the apples before they are ripe. That was a good metaphor. Um, like, oh, let's do this and let's do that, and no, no, no. And I used to say, we don't have time anymore to do it quickly. We better mm. be sure that it's life-affirming. Otherwise, just sit still and wait a bit longer. Mm. Um, yeah, that's something we didn't touch upon in this conversation, but it's, it's kind of... One of the crucial points,
0: do yeah. Thank you for, for bringing that um, into the space. I think it what it brings up for me is you know I, I did I did a, a good deal of Zen training, and in that in that context, mm-hmm. they talk a lot about uh, not knowing. You know, the, 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 abide mm-hmm. in that not knowing mind or that not knowing space. And I love yeah. this addition of not knowing yet. You know that 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 so so. Because I think that the tendency sometimes, at least in the contemplative world, can to be to just like actually grasp onto the not knowing and act as if you don't ah, okay. know when you do. But what you're leaving open is that actually clarity will emerge. And when it does, you, you, you go with it.
1: Uh huh. Exactly. At least the next the next minimal step. That's how I name it in the book. Mm-hmm. Like you will always know the next minimal step. You don't see the the whole journey, but just let's do one step and then sends again from there. Hmm. Yeah.
0: Beautiful, Ria. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: Thank you. It was an honor to be invited.